Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you talk on your radio, mobile phone. With you on your as mobile we are phone. making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN. And including our very own West Bend County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bo's Nose Show. With your host, with your host, Lane County Commissioner, Jay And good afternoon, and welcome to another edition of the Bose Nose Show, and I'm your host, Jay Bozovich, Westland County Commissioner, and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon, where it's a gorgeous day here in the Pacific Northwest. It's one of those days that just, I, I wish I didn't have to be inside doing a radio show, because uh, it's certainly gorgeous outside, and even if I wasn't doing the radio show, I still got another meeting to go to tonight, so I can't just run off and, you know, go for a bike ride or, or sit out on the patio and have a, an adult beverage because I've, I've still got work to do today, uh, which is I've got a, a meeting tonight at St. Matthew's Church um, in in the Santa Clara neighborhood of Eugene, and uh, at 6.30, they're having a forum on homelessness. And I am participating on two panels on in, during the course of that meeting. Uh, so that's kind of why I have homelessness on the mind a bit. And then I'm speaking to the Rubicon Society tomorrow at noon at Kowloon Restaurant there on Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard uh, in Eugene. And uh, that's at noon and it's actually free to the public. And I'm going to be talking about the uh, supported housing project that the county is proposing across the street from Autzen Stadium, just a little bit further down Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. So uh, kind of why homelessness was on my mind when I put out my Facebook advertising. But, you know, there's all sorts of things going on here in, in Lane County. And today's a free-for-all day. So anytime you want to interrupt me with a telephone call and take the conversation in the direction you want it to go, the number is 646-721-9887. Just press one and that lets Robin, my call screener extraordinaire and producer, know you want to get in on the conversation and uh, she'll get you right on the show here. And we'll talk about what you want to talk about. But if you don't call in, um, we'll talk about what Jay wants to talk about or what Robin wants to talk about. And uh, we got a couple things on, on the hook for today's show, uh, but we'll we'll get into those. But just a reminder again, if you want to talk about what you want to talk about, it's 646-721-9887. And don't forget to press one. Let's us know you want to talk rather than just listen, because there are people that use that number to call in and listen to the show live because they don't have a computer available to them. So, um, I told you I have homelessness kind of on my mind a bit, but there are a couple other things going on here in Lane County, and I want to touch on them a little bit first as other possible topics maybe to stir your juices. But, uh, you know, we've kind of had this little labor thing going on in Lane County for the past couple uh, couple weeks in the news, but you know, for the last week it's been very public with the strike. And I wanted to kind of, um, one, just say, you know, thank you to everybody's, you know, the, the public's patience during the strike. Thank you to the employees that, that um, you know, from other units and all that were there and our non-represented employees that, that kind of stretched themselves during the strike to try and provide as much service as we could. And I even want to thank the employees that were out on strike. I know it was stressful to them. 
they're participating in the collective bargaining process and exercising their rights under Oregon law. So uh, I want to welcome them back because they came back to work today. And, uh, you know, I know it's not going to be instantaneous that everything's going to be back to normal and 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 uh, all rainbows and unicorns. Uh, it's going to take time to heal some of the, the division that was created during this. But uh, hopefully we can get back to doing the good work that all of our Lane County employees do to serve the public of Lane County. Uh, and I've talked before about how efficiently we do that, how creatively and how collaboratively. And a lot of that is done by the line workers that were participating in this uh, labor event. But I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, one, why I did a replay last week and two, why I haven't really talked about details of the negotiations or um, anything really to do with the strike publicly. It's because there's certain restrictions on employers when it comes to the collective bargaining process. And one of those restrictions on an employer is a prohibition against doing something called direct bargaining. And that's defined as me, the person that makes the decision and approves the contract, talking directly with members of the bargaining unit and trying to convince them that an offer I put out there is fair or equitable or a good offer, whatever you want to put it. Um, I can't talk directly to members of those bargaining units about wages, benefits, uh, my opinion on an offer, you know, any of that stuff can get the county in trouble with the um, bully and the, and the uh, employee relations board, ERB, um, for an unfair labor practice. So it's very difficult. And even if I speak in a public forum like this where employees might be listening, there's been interpretations where that's been considered direct bargaining. So it's very difficult for me to address things and you know, questions from, from the public about specifics about the contract offers and with, you know various wages, et cetera. I can direct them to the publicly available information that's on our website that has you know, been run through our legal counsel and all that, that we're allowed to put it out there. And that's about it. But on the other side, there is no prohibition on the unions asking their members to contact the board. So I've I've had to resort to allowing all of my voicemail to go to um, to not answer my phone and let all my telephone calls go to voicemail um, because it's really uh, would be unfortunate if I picked up the phone and it was an employee and. You know, I didn't, then the employee didn't identify themselves and I spoke about, you know, something about contracts or whatever and got the county in trouble by accident. So I have to screen all my calls and I haven't been able to return calls about uh, or or even emails about the contract because I have to avoid the, that issue of direct bargaining. Some of the other prohibitions around bargaining, uh, particularly there's one thing that, that um either side can do is ask to have a uh, proposal relayed confidentially to the other side. Um, and I can't break that confidentiality in, in, in certain cases. So there's a lot of pitfalls in the laws around collective bargaining for employers. It can be very difficult for us to talk publicly and, and why um, you know, what little comments have come from the Board of Commissioners directly have had to be um, very generalized and very careful um, about what subjects we take up. So I will ask, you know, the one thing I will ask is those of you that do want to call in and get on the show, please, if you're an employee in this bargaining unit um, or a relative or whatever, uh, or just an interested party, please don't call me and ask me about the offer, the, the tentative agreement that's on the table. It hasn't been ratified by the union members yet, so it's still a tentative agreement. So it, technically, we're still in that bargaining phase where I'm prohibited about talking about specifics. So uh, I'll ask you up front to not call and try and drag me into that conversation. I'll cut the conversation short, cite my legal counsel's advice to not discuss this, and uh, that'll be the end of the conversation because uh, that's just 
as far as I can really go, I, I really, you know, one of the things we stressed is, you know, that we're, we're balancing a role here between trying to you know, um, do what's right by our employees along with, with protecting the taxpayers' interests. And one of the ways I have to protect the taxpayers' interests is not to get the county into legal trouble. And uh, one of the ways I can get the county into legal trouble is to go too far with what I say about um, things that are going on in collective bargaining while they're going on. So uh, until the tentative agreement's been ratified by the uh, unions and the board has voted to approve it, I am going to refrain from commenting directly about those issues. And I would ask um, that the folks be patient about any detailed questions they have on that to wait until those things happen. And then I may be able to answer most of people's questions more directly on those issues. So. Maybe net by next week's show, I'll be able to talk more freely. So we'll see where we go from there. Um, so that all said, now that you know what I can't talk about, there's all sorts of things we can talk about. And uh, one of those is, even though we were um, having all this, these issues, our uh, elections department managed to get out ballots on time for a bunch of local elections around here. And one of the things um, I I was uh, surprised is I didn't get one. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, and I realized there's no local issues out here in Elmira, Oregon, that are on the ballot. Um, and uh, so it was it was uh, it was uh, interesting to not get a ballot. It's the first time in a while I haven't gotten one, but uh, there are some interesting things on that ballot. For instance, uh, if you're um, in certain school districts, there's some bond measures going on, but there's a big bond measure going on in the city of Eugene for the roads there. Uh, I think it's $52 million or something like that. I mean, it's a huge bond. They're also gonna do a charter amendment in the city of Eugene about how they replace um, folks uh, fill, fill uh, vo uh, vacancies on the city council and a few other things. Um, and then there's this uh, levy in Springfield, a uh, public safety levy that's actually going to increase um, the cost to the taxpayers, yet it's going to only hold um, the, the same level of service for um, public safety there. It's just, you know, all those things have gotten more expensive and that's why the levy is going up, but it's kind of one of those things that's tough, tough to sell to the public that you got to pay more to keep, keep what's there. And uh, it's kind of tough on folks that have, uh, that are either low income or, um, you know, ha having, um, you know, having difficulty making ends meet, you know, some of the working families out there, uh, some of those increases, they all seem to add up because there's this kind of automatic increase that's built into our tax system now with um, we're artificially holding assessed values below what the market values are, and, but they're allowing them to increase a max of 3% a year. And most people are well below their market values. So every year your property taxes go up 3% anyway, and you add a levy increase on top of that. So they're going up even more. I know I got my bill today. And my taxes went up about $200 from last year, which isn't too bad, um, you know, compared to what my total tax bill is. Uh, but still, you know, I, you know, my wife and I both work and we don't have kids. So we got, you know, one of those double income, no kids. We're probably more able to afford that than some people. So any opinions you have about some of those local um elections going on in the, in the November election. You should should have your ballot by now. If you don't have your ballot, please contact the elections office for a replacement. Um, you may be in a situation like me where there's just nothing to vote on in your area, um, but it's always good to check to make sure that you got your ballot there from elections. Uh, now that our staff is fully back, you should get your phone call answered in a timely, timely manner if you call in and uh, we'll get this election taken care of. Couple other things that you know on my mind. Uh, it's been almost a month now since we've gone hands-free. Anyone had anyone gotten pulled over for that? 
I'm just curious, you know, I haven't, I haven't seen anyone that looked like they're pulled over for hands-free violation. Um, just kind of curious if anyone's run into that yet and if they, how they're dealing with the new um, hands-free uh, laws and distracted driving laws here in Oregon. And then of course, you know, it uh, never ceases to amaze me, and it's been you know, a couple of weeks since we talked about this because it's been a couple of weeks since I've been live, but every time I drive down 7th Street and 11th and 6th now, um, I just shake my head at what the traffic people did with the, with the West Eugene uh, MX extension for uh, LTD. Uh, the, the way they uh, start and end lanes and shift lanes over and lanes turn into left turn only lanes with you know not a lot of warning it's backing traffic up all over the place and anyone you know they were promising us when mx was going in that even though they were taking a lane out traffic was actually going to flow better because more people would ride the bus and then we would get the left you know either that bus slash turn lane would get people out of traffic while they're making turns um I haven't seen that happen too much because people are so confused about how to use those lanes. I've seen them turning from a lane out uh, <laughs> to, you know, not or, or riding down that lane with their turn signal on for three or four blocks. Um, it, it's just mass confusion out there on how they how they did the traffic work. And then, you know, on top of that, some of the new cross walks they put in, like the one there. Um, at Target going over to Walmart, where it kind of strands people in the center island. It, you know, it's just, I, I don't know what they were thinking at times. I, I just shake my head about, you know, who, who was the traffic engineer that, that laid that out and then, and then really thought that was an improvement. I think it, just, it almost seems like it was intentional to back vehicle traffic up and try and force people to get on that damn MX bus that runs empty most of the time. It just amazes me. So, you know, we can talk about MX, we can talk about, you know, uh, bond elections and levies, or we can talk about homelessness and housing, which is what I'll be speaking about tonight and there's, and tomorrow and to predict, to particular programs and and um, one I consider a kind of a band-aid program and one I consider the the real solution and the one that I really would prefer to concentrate on the band-aid solutions this overnight camping program expansion into the unincorporated areas uh, inside the Eugene UGB um, it's a good program and it's been a it, the program inside the city of Eugene has actually worked very well. Uh, it's been uh, executed under a contract with St. Vincent de Paul running the program on behalf of the city. And St. Vincent's has done a great job of, of um, screening folks to go into the program, of working with the folks that want to host them to make sure they're, you know, they're wanting to host for all the right reasons and they have the right um, facilities to host these people. Uh, and so far, the, the complaint rate's been very low, and most of the complaints have been handled simply by a visit of the uh, mediator from uh, uh, from St. Vincent's, and they, they resolve it very quickly, usually. And um, it's actually been a pretty good program to get folks at least into a safe, you know, the folks that are out there, you know, parking their cars in public right-of-ways, which is not really what we want because they don't have any sanitation there. They don't have um, any real safety uh, and they're constantly having to move and get ticketed and they can get their cars towed, et cetera, if they're not running. So um, getting them, you know, getting some of these folks into safe areas or getting them off out, out from beside the rivers where they, you know, they're polluting the rivers with their, um, you know, with their sanitary needs. Um, and part of the requirement of the program is there has to be sanitary provided for these folks um, and electricity and a storage area that's not in sight of, of, of neighbors in the public or the, from the public right away. Uh, so they can't just junk up somebody's driveway with you know, a whole bunch of old campers and, and uh, bags of trash and whatever else um, 
that's not allowed under this program. It does give some, you know, safe places for people to temporarily be housed where they're not causing some of the problems uh, that are caused in, in the uncontrolled camping that happens anyway. Um, and at times this can lead to permanent housing. It's not necessarily the best way that people get led into that. At least them having to go through St. Vincent's gets them in contact with some other programs that may help them out. St. Vincent's does a lot of other work um, as far as, you know, assistance in getting employment or preparation to be employed, uh, um, you know, counseling for families, all sorts of things that they can put them in contact with. But really the more permanent solutions, the solution that I'll be talking about tomorrow rather than the one I'm talking about tonight, which is the overnight camping program, which is that supported housing facility out on um, Martin Luther King Boulevard across from Watson. It's really, um, that is the more permanent solution because what the, that program entails is bringing people off the street and particularly looking for some of the folks that are the most heavy users of emergency services, whether it's, uh, you know, ambulance services, the emergency room, um, the acute uh, psychological care facility for peace health, um, and or uh, cahoots or our, you know, our police services, or they're ending up in the jail. All those places are not where we want people to be going. They cost a lot of money. It's the most expensive way in dealing with these people. So if we can kind of identify some of those high users and get them into this facility where they're housed, you know, we give them, we give them a, a room, you know, uh, and their own living space where they don't have to worry about their stuff being stolen overnight, et cetera. And there's no requirement to be clean and sober at the time of entry, which I know bothers some people. But it, it's, it's one of the reasons why these people are such high users of services is quite often they're dealing with undiagnosed um, mental health issues that they're self-medicating for, which has gotten them into addiction problems. Uh, and really what this is, is you place them into this housing in a safe environment. There's 24-7 front desk staffing. They can't bring people up to their, their, their space their living spaces or living quarters. They can't come and go willy-nilly. It's not a flop house um, situation. Once they enter that, that, that living facility, they are um, given intensive case management. And that's the real key is you hook these people up with everything from addiction treatment services to medical help because a lot of these folks have got a whole bunch of medical side effects to their addiction or their mental health issues that they're not dealing with. It's how they end up in the emergency room so damn much. We, everything from type 2 diabetes that's being poorly managed to um, you know, underlying hepatitis C problems from their intravenous drug use to you, know, you name it. Um, these folks are dealing with all sorts of physical health issues also. Um, so start, you know, managing their wellness versus treating their 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 illnesses uh, saves a lot of money. As well as you hook them up with mental health treatment, addiction treatment, um, start you know moving them on the, the course of stabilization if they need to get into a sobering facility temporarily for a while, and then into a residential uh, drug treatment facility. Uh, you know, get, getting all those things lined up and taken care of through this intensive case management. Eventually, you hope to get this person uh, at least into sobriety in, in their addiction, um, hopefully stabilized with whatever mental health issues they might have, managing their health, and, and at least well enough to move into more permanent housing. You know, some of it might be transitional housing, and then then into permanent housing, and some of it might not be that these guys. There's a percentage of that population once they get uh, into recovery, get themselves back on their feet, can you know get a job, end up renting a normal apartment, and become part of normal society. And then there's a percentage of them that um, 
you know, are developmentally disabled and may not ever enter into normal society, but once they're stabilized and their behaviors are under control, would be eligible to move into a group home uh, and be permanently housed maybe in a group home or somewhere where they're off the street and, and, and the cost of that group home housing for that individual will be far less than what they're costing society when they're out on the street. I kind of spent uh, part of the day today going over some statistics from uh, Colorado and Minnesota and, and then nationwide about how much a homeless person costs society versus how much supported housing costs society. And, and the, the rate of return uh, for the taxpayer is, is significant, uh, almost you know, two to one savings, you know, comparatively, uh, what it, you know, what, what a homeless person costs society versus what you would spend on giving them supported housing. And ultimately, if you get these people transitioned into a permanent housing situation, whether it's that group home for developmentally disabled people, or it's, um, uh, it's, you know, somebody actually gets their self totally back together and they're, tax-paying, permanently housed individual in our society, um, that's really the ultimate goal. And as you as you have those supported housing places available and you start pulling these people off the street and dealing with them in a permanent manner, rather than that temporary, you know, issue of, you know, Egan Warming Center in the wintertime, just trying to keep people from freezing to death, but not dealing with the underlying causes of why they're out there freezing to death in the first place. This is where we want to go. It's, it's you know, fiscally conservative because it saves the taxpayers money. It's morally conservative in a lot of ways. It's really about treating people as humans. You know, it's really easy to demonize the homeless as, you know, lazy and, and they just, you know, they brought it upon themselves to their own poor decision making. That might be true to some extent, but a lot of these folks are folks, um, for instance, that were in foster care as children. They turn 18 and they're suddenly left without the foster system and, and enter into, you know, society with, with low job skills. They already have a bunch of adverse childhood experiences in their background to, to screw with their head. Um, and they end up, you know, falling in with wrong crowds. Uh, they're easy pickings for human traffickers. Uh, all sorts of things can happen, you know, at age 18 um, to somebody that's suddenly thrust out of the foster system and end up, you know, that, that has them ending up on the street. As well as sometimes it's just, Folks that slip through the cracks, like the developmentally disabled adults, um, or folks with mental illnesses that um, lose housing because of behavioral issues that might have a combination of issues and are not in the correct housing for that particular um, disability and end up on the street uh, by accident through the system. You know, and you know, there are all sorts of reasons why people end up in addiction. Most most people that are addicted to drugs started as as a teenager. Some teen, some even as preteens. I had a friend that started her addiction uh, in, when she was twelve, uh, and is fortunately in recovery now. Um, and it's it's you know, how can you blame somebody that that began their life of addiction as such a young person where they did not have the cognitive ability um, to, to really understand the decision they were making when they chose to start using something as powerfully addictive as methamphetamine or heroin or cocaine. Uh, it, it's, you know, so you have to humanize these people a little bit and say, you know, that's a human life out there. And, and, you know, what is our, you know, what is your moral responsibility to other humans sometimes that, to lend a helping hand? And, and, and supported housing is that human element where, you know, we, we know these folks are, are, you know, have some personal responsibility and need to take. That's part of the way recovery works is you have to accept responsibility for your own life if you're going to be successful in recovery. Um, you know, they're all, you know, you hear all the famous, you know, one day at a time and all that stuff, but a lot of it's just about 
responsibility for your own actions. You can't blame your mother. You can't blame society, you know, whatever else, you know, your, your, your decision to use or not that day is your decision. And, uh, that's really what a lot of that's about. So, you know, helping those folks get to the point where they can take that personal responsibility though, takes assistance. You know, they, a lot of them aren't capable of taking that step by themselves. And that's what supported housing means. That's why it's called supported housing. As you bring those folks off the street, at least eliminate that one immediate need of where am I going to sleep tonight? And, and what happens a lot is these folks, for security reasons, tend to sleep in group situations. They find they make camps of their own down by the river, um, in in the Blackberries there off of West 11th near Green Hill. You know, we've seen we've seen the places they camp. We all know them in our in our areas. There's a couple areas out where I am. Uh, I can tell you where the homeless gather. When they're in those group situations like that, around other people that are dealing with all the issues that that create homelessness, they feed off of each other and, and feed into the bad habits. They don't. That's not the people they need to be around to support recovery because they're around other people that are using and they might even be using a different drug than they're using. And next thing you know, now they're exposed to a different, more addictive drug and they may switch their addiction to, to a worse drug. Um, it's just, you know, and then there may be abuse that happens between them. It's just not a good situation. It's better to get those folks in, get them housed where they're safe, where they're, they're, they're exposed to good peers and people that are trying to help them and not, surrounded by um, folks that are not going to be influencing them in a good way and really try and deal with the base issues that are created the homelessness in the first place and then work to get those folks permanently housed in some fashion, whether it's, you know, they get, you know, deal with whatever they're dealing with and get back into society and, and are productive members, or they just end up in a, in a group home situation that's the correct group home situation for them no matter what it saves the taxpayers money and and that's really kind of that permanent solution that i really like um, although you know there is you know a place in the toolkit for overnight camping situations that are safe and keep people out of that camp by the river with the rest of the drug addicts with folks that might want to use and abuse them particularly young young people that end up in those camps quite often end up um, being trafficked in, you know, in, in the sex trafficking rings and addicted to substances at a young age and end up completely messed up um, in that situation where they, they end up uh, on the street camping with those folks around. So far better situation, try and get those people off the street as quickly as possible and start dealing with underlying issues. So, I've talked for a while now about homelessness. I'd love to hear what you think about all that. If you want to give me a call, you're on the Bo's Nose Show. It's a free-for-all day. You can talk about whatever you want to talk about at 646-721-9887. Just press 1 if you want to get in on that. lets Robin, my uh, call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the conversation. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Just press 1. And that lets me know you want to get in on the conversation. So, Robin, you live in Springfield. What do you think of the new levy coming up on the on the uh, Springfield ballot? Well, let's see. Uh, to maintain our PG rating. <laughs> yeah, that'd be a good thing to do. Okay. Well, it's one of those catch twenty twos that you know I support law enforcement, but on the other side of the coin, um, since it's a dollar forty per assessed thousand that'd be over two hundred dollars a year extra onto my property taxes and like you say it goes up three percent every year and i'm having a hard time as it is being able to come up with the money to pay this yeah you you kind of exemplify um what i was talking about where there's you know you're not you know super high you're you're 
what I would consider working typical working wage person. You're, you're not down at minimum wage. You make you know uh, more than minimum wage, but you're you know you're basically have a house and and you know you've got all the other expenses from your water and electric bill to everything else, food and and uh, mortgage, et cetera, and 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 uh, having that property tax on there and jumping up uh, is tough. Because you know you got you know you're not getting a big raise at work that you know it's one of those things where things just keep catching up to you. Um, so I, I can understand that that view, and, and that's going to be a sale for the the folks at Springfield City Hall to convince people to vote yes on this. Yeah, and I'm also one of the lucky ones. Uh, I took advantage of the low interest rates on, on my house and was able to get a pretty good refi. But if I hadn't I'd have to move. Yeah. And all I can think of, what about the the senior citizen that, um, you know, has paid for their house and the only real big bill they have every year is their property tax bill? And how does that affect them? And so what it ends up doing is causing senior citizens to go on, you know, on the Oregon tax deferral program, which is something that, you know, I haven't talked about on the show, but it is available if you're, um, if you're over 65, I believe that is the age limit, you can apply through the state to have your taxes deferred. What happens though is when you pass away, um, it's a lien against your your property. And as your estate deals with your property, um, that's the first thing that gets paid is your, your deferred taxes. And sometimes they can get so big, it basically makes your property worthless um, on, upon your death. So it affects what you might be able to uh, give to your children and all you know a lot of times your property is one of your biggest assets but there is a program out there if you're in that situation as a senior citizen um to look at deferring your taxes um until until you move or pass on or sell sell your place if you sell your place it becomes due um at that time also so that's um something that, that's available to those folks but still doesn't you know it's kind of sad that just trying to pay for the jail and the um, extended patrols and some of the other things that's under this public safety levy, um, we, you know, this that might drive a senior citizen into going into this tax deferral program. Yeah. Well, and what would help is that if Eugene, especially, was business friendly and brought in some more business to offset some of these expenses. Yeah, and. and yeah, you know, there has been. You know, one of the things I will say is Springfield is pretty business friendly, but the, you guys are limited on what land you have available to grow on at this point. You're surrounded by a couple rivers and some very steep hills, and you and frankly, Springfield's running out of room. You guys have done great though, because um, there was a time when there were far more cranes on in the Gateway area than there were in anywhere in Eugene. <laughs> And I think there's something like a billion dollars worth of private sector investment um, in Springfield uh, over a couple of years there uh, where you guys got all sorts of things that were built. So you, know, you guys have been an economic driver there in Springfield, but it still hasn't been enough to, to increase the um, property tax coming into the coffers at City Hall to to keep up with the cost of, of running a city jail and and and. and keeping up some of that enhanced law enforcement that you all have there. Yeah, and, and don't get me started on, uh, like my my old saying, right pocket, left pocket, is all the same pair of pants. And then, yeah. then we start talking about, uh, what is the 1% arts tax and just other stuff where I feel that in a bad economy could be spent better. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You, you and I both have talked about the famous torch there at Gateway and and uh, Beltline. That's right, folks. That's what that thing's supposed to be is a is a flame. I know that because that's what it said in the paper. Otherwise, you wouldn't know it by looking at it. It looks like a basketball or a trash can. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's a pretty interesting piece of art, and and, and those two lovely pieces of art that are at the uh, I five bridge over the Willamette River. Uh, you know that 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 was part of your one percent uh, for art. It, you know is required of all 
large infrastructure projects in the state of Oregon. I will say, though, that one piece of art that I do like, just because I think it looks cool, is the bike bridge going over Valley River, the one that's lit up red at night. Oh, okay, yeah. I know which one you're talking about. Yeah, the, the, the bike bridge to nowhere. Uh. Yeah, exactly. Uh, just in case you feel like hanging out in the swamp, literally, um, there's a bike bridge for you. Yeah, yeah, and the other end ends up in, in a small little obscure neighborhood uh, in in the Ferry Street Bridge area. Uh, yeah, I never could quite figure out why that bridge got built there versus some other spots um, where it was probably more needed. But that's beside the point. I mean, that was one of the if if folks can can remember back to 2011 and and the whole Economic Recovery Act. Um, that passed Congress uh, under the Obama administration, and, and they wanted all these shovel-ready jobs. And, you know, all sorts of good projects were put forward, and the one that, that the city of Eugene put forward was that bike bridge. And that was supposed to be an economic stimulus package to put up that $1 million bridge to nowhere. <laughs> and somehow or another, lead to, you know, the whole point was the the um, infrastructure projects were supposed to expand the ability for businesses, and I don't really know how you can can look at that and say that that expanded um, business capabilities in in uh, Lane County very much, you know, for a million dollars worth or whatever that thing cost. So, yeah. thank you, federal government, for building that bridge to nowhere. And uh, exactly. Speaking of nowhere, how's that uh, world class? Uh, skate rink coming along. But, uh, what, you, what do you mean? The, the skate park uh, between six and six. Uh, oh, underneath underneath the Jefferson Bridge? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it, it seems to be a fairly popular spot for folks to hang out and make drug deals. Um. Well, they were saying that vendors would probably help uh, fund that thing. Yeah. They just didn't say yeah, I just know that if you go into the uh, police blotters, that that seems to be a common place for uh, a lot of calls on on uh, late nights and early mornings. No, I am shocked. <laughs> yeah. Oh my. Yeah. Picture me smacking my my forehead. Uh. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, I have an answer to your your question about the engineer for Sixth and Seventh Street. I think his name is Foster Brooks. Okay. Yeah, the guy that's. I don't want to embarrass anybody by name on on the Bose Nose Show, but uh, yeah, you got You kind of got to wonder about that one. Yeah, he's he's the guy that always pretends to be drunk all the time. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. I thought I thought you were naming somebody for real. No, but also uh, in a, a couple things that not only make it. This shows you how much I know about about. Uh, you know, pop culture. <laughs> I'm showing my age. Um, besides being inconvenient, a couple of things that are dangerous is that night when it's raining, you can't see the lines and because they go zigzag. And then also if you're side, uh, side by side on a semi, because that is an inter that's that's a state road, right? Or inter interstate? Six it, it's a state route. State route. Yeah. So you got you got uh, seventy foot vehicles going in there, and when they try to follow the line, their trailers kind of go over. Yeah, and, and you do get a fair amount of heavy truck traffic because there's a couple truck terminals that are down in Whitaker that get on and off the, um, the Washington Jefferson Bridge, and then have to maneuver those, particularly those areas where their lanes keep disappearing and reappearing and and turning into left turn lanes. Tell you, you get down there about. Um, Garfield, uh, where they lose a lane to a left turn lane. And I have seen a lot of people go straight from that left turn only lane and merge into the, the through lane thinking that was their lane. Right. Because the way the lane shift there and, and I've seen near accidents between people doing, you know, doing that people that were going, that were correctly in the correct through lane. Um, just out of pure ignorance and not looking up and seeing they were, they were in the left turn lane or the fact that they either that or somebody that was trying to ride that lane as far as they could and then merge in and no one let them. 
so they decided they were just going to blow through it anyway. Um, it just, yeah, it, it it's a mess down there, and when it get and at rush hour, it gets really bad. Could we could we claim that lunch hour is really bad too? And I can't imagine what it's done to that that um, McDonald's down there between Chambers and Garfield, oh, yeah. and how you can getting in and out of that McDonald's now is nearly impossible because traffic backs up and no one will, no one wants to let anyone into it. Right. Well, and also, I, I would think it we can claim distracted driving as trying to stay between the the lines on those roads. Yeah, yeah. I mean, who needs a hand, you know, a handheld device to distract them? Just try and figure out whether you're in the correct lane as you're driving down seven. First, you lose a lane at Olive Street, I think it is, or is it Charlton? The left lane disappears right. and becomes, you know, becomes a left turn only lane. And then as you go um, underneath the Washington Jefferson Bridge, the right lane becomes a right turn only lane. And, and then after you get past the Washington Jefferson Bridge and just past Blair, the left lane ends and merges. It, 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 has a, it doesn't turn into a turn lane. It just ends and has a merge. That's one of those places where they got all zigzaggy on you um, and the lanes shift. Uh, so when you're in the rain, it's really hard to discern. And then you get down to the chambers. Um, connector and it, there's the left lane it's the left turn only lane there that confuses people because it, it then opens up a lane you know first they close off a lane then they reopen a lane um of course all, all along there there's a lane that buses are in that's on the left side of the road that's left turn only in buses yeah then you got then you got and when, when you're going the other direction it's right lane that's right turn only in buses or there's a bus that's so, un and unloading at the corner, and you want to make a right turn there. So what do you do? You pull in behind the bus and wait? Because you never know how long they're going to be. Right. Yeah, it, it's 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 maddening. It's an accident waiting to happen. And, and uh, gosh, and then you get on to West 11th, and it gets just as bad, where they got lanes added and and, and unadded. They took away one of the right turn lanes up there going from the Chambers connector on into uh, westbound West 11th. Um, and some people get confused and they get in the bus lane to make that turn because uh, that, you know, because right before there, the bus lane was right turn only, was allowed in it. And, and suddenly it's buses only up there and you're not supposed to be in it to make that right turn. So it's just like, way way confusing yeah and then we're going to throw in uh, red light cameras and i'll be able to pay for all that yep so <coughs> excuse me um i need a cough button on my end <laughs> <coughs> but um it's yeah it just amazes me um uh, just some of the, the craziness and how they laid that whole thing out. Speaking of, and it's been one of my little pet peeves, have we ever found out why LTD needs uh, 15 uh, uh, tilt pan zoom cameras? Um, no, uh, you know, I, 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 the explanation I've gotten is so they can check on the buses and, and how traffic patterns are flowing, et cetera, but I really, I have no idea why those are there, other than maybe to look for traffic you know, backups and where the accident is or something like that um, for the traffic control people for the city of Eugene. Um, but I just um, really have not heard a good explanation of why they have all those darn cameras. Hmm. Yeah, people, if you're wondering what I'm talking about, next time you go up 6th and 7th and West 11th, take a look at the traffic lights. You'll see something that is not a traffic light controller camera. Yeah, yeah, it's up there as you know, basically Big Brother. <laughs> yep, smile. Yep. Not, 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 <laughs> not to be paranoid. But <laughs> yeah, not to be paranoid. Yeah. But yeah, I definitely sometimes have to wonder why they need all those cameras. And what evil plans they have? Actually, if you've looked at the. Uh, uh, I forget what the title of it is. It's is it the 2028 plan or something like that for the city? 
that they talk about red light cameras, speed cameras. It, yeah, um, gosh, it's their safety plan. Right. Um, their their traffic safety plan, I think, had it contained in there. Yeah. Towards towards zero deaths or something like that, or I forget what their um, uh, what uh, there, there's some they got a name for it, but you're right. They do have a, a traffic safety plan, and one of the things they talk about is, is utilizing uh, red light cameras and and um, photo radar and, and several other things. But on the Big Brother side, uh, the one that really gets me is where they want to start having us all um, install devices that hook into our car computers. Yeah. And basically, they'll be able to write us tickets after the fact, just because we know we exceeded the maximum speed limit for the state. And don't think that's not possible. That's what's being used now on uh, on vehicles. Yeah. Well, you know, you have these things that they, some of the insurance companies are giving you a discount if you put one of these little devices in your car. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. The little device that kind of communicates to the insurance company through cell, the cell network and basically says how fast you drive, whether you're, whether you're hard on your brakes or hard on your acceleration and all that stuff. And they can, they can judge whether you're a good driver or not. Yeah. Despite Actually, the they can they can judge if you're you're an aggressive driver. Maybe not whether you're good or not. Yeah. Like, oh, I, of course, I'm a perfect driver, even though I'm quite aggressive. Yes, absolutely. Or you know, I probably got over two million miles under my belt, and uh, yeah, the only the only traffic accident I've had is has been with a deer, <laughs> and he jumped in front of me. So was he? Uh, was the deer distracted? Huh? Was it? Was the deer distracted? Was he using a? Yeah, I think, I think she was running away from a buck. It was in November. Yeah, and she bolted out of a. She literally jumped from a, a a piece of woods on the side of the road into the drive lane. You know, in a huge arcing jump where um, th there was no way I had time to stop. In fact, the fact that I hit the brakes kept her from going through my windshield. She hit the, the grill instead because she descended enough in her arc. <laughs> if I hadn't hit the brakes, she'd have been through the windshield. But yeah, there was just no stopping distance there. But yeah, deer are something you have to watch out for in this state. I think we're one of the highest deer strike states in, this, in the U.S. I think Pennsylvania is above us. Yeah. And, and uh but we are one of the higher, according to the insurance companies uh, in the U.S. as far as deer strikes go. There we go. We should. I, I, I can attest to it. I've hit a deer in Oregon. Yeah. There, well, we should have the Oregon legislature pass a law saying deer can only pass in a deer crossing. Yeah. Well, I hit this one in a signed deer crossing area, <laughs> but it didn't didn't matter. You know, I've got really good, pretty dang good night vision. I I spot movement really well. I've I've avoided a lot of deer collisions because of that. In fact, I avoided a raccoon the other night on my way to pick up my wife from the airport on Monday night because um, I saw the, the movement and, you know, hit the brakes as the raccoon was running out in the road and it stopped and ran back after, you know, I avoided it anyway. Um, but this deer, literally, there was no no time to see it or anything. It literally jumped straight from the, from the hidden woods into the drive lane in one Large bleep. <laughs> yeah. Hey, um, yeah. Put something out there in the last uh, six or seven minutes left of the program. In addition to inviting people to give us a call, 646 721 9887. A little self promotion there. Uh, a little bit of fun. Um, how about if we have people on our Facebook page tell us what they're going to be on Halloween? Maybe get a little contest going. Or at least, uh, oh, that'd be interesting. Yeah, I know. I haven't dressed up for Halloween in a while. Personally, I used to hold some pretty good Halloween parties when we were when my wife and I were of a younger age. But uh, yeah, yeah, I have a, I have a friend, um, and, and you know they've been friends of ours forever. In fact, we were in their wedding, and they've got daughters that have graduated. In fact, one graduated the U of O, and and uh, I knew that we knew these people when we lived in Maryland, uh, and. You know, Elizabeth was the uh, maid, 
I guess the matron of honor because we were married at that time and I was the best man for their wedding, Craig and Angie Long. So <laughs> they're going out for Halloween at, as Craig's list and Angie's list. <laughs> <laughs> that works. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, who, who would have thought, you know, 30 years ago when they got married, that there would ever be a Craigslist and an Angie's list. <laughs> but that's, that's what they're going out for is Halloween. So yeah, if you want to get on our Facebook page, tell us what you're going to be for Halloween, or you can tell us how you're going to vote on your local elections. I'd be curious to hear some people, you know, are you kind of there with, uh, with Robin and worried about your tax bill and maybe not able to support the public safety levy in Springfield, you're going to vote yes on that big bond measure for the roads in, in Eugene. Uh, how about some of those school measures out in some of the rural areas uh, where they're trying to fix some schools, like out in the Lowell School District, they've got a big bond measure going on there. Um, so let us know what you're going to do. You can, uh, you know, just click on our Facebook page there and, and, uh, Type in a, a, a post or a comment and let us know. Yeah. Can I let people in on a little secret? Sure. Um, just, just so everybody knows that our commissioner here is not the only government official that uh, listens to the show or participates. So if you want to get put your opinion out there where somebody might act important might actually read it, uh, this is a good place to do it. Yeah, there are a couple other people that do listen to it, and, I, and some of my friends, they kind of uh, get a kick out of me stumbling through this for an hour every week. Uh, but yeah, it, it is a good place, and uh, particularly, you know, on Facebook, some of those discussions, um, you'd be surprised who reads them, and it's and it may be that you might not be committing, you know, particularly if you're having a, a, a dispute with somebody over which way to vote on something. Uh, the audience is broader than just the person you're talking to. So one of the things I always encourage people is keep it civil because the people that, that are just reading the discussion between you and whoever um, tend to be turned off by people that get uncivil or take it to a lower level. Um, so you don't win that, that, that third party audience that's out there. But uh, same thing when you, you have call in the Bose No Show, you're probably talking more than just your county commissioner here. I do know that there may be some Springfield city councilors that pay attention to this show um, and maybe some Eugene city councilors. So uh, let us know what you think about some of these local elections on the Bose No Show. So next week, hopefully, I'll be able to talk a little bit more freely about labor issues if uh, our tentative agreement with AFSCME unions is ratified and approved by the board of commissioners that kind of uh takes some of the 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 uh handcuffs on off as far as you know at that point there is no direct bargaining because the bargaining's done so i can talk about specifics in the, in the uh in the bargains so if you have questions next week and you want me to answer them um that'll be a good time to call and I can I can get into the details about how much this is going to cost the taxpayers, what are the benefits to the employees, um, you know, what's the difference between what we actually agreed to with the employees and what we had in our um, final offer that we posted on the um, employee uh, relations board uh, uh, site, um, employment relations board site. Uh, you know, so all those kind of questions and details, uh, you know, I'll be able to answer next week, hopefully, if, if everything works out in the next couple of days. So tune in next week and we'll talk about those in detail. And I want to thank you for listening to Bo's Nose Show. We're here every Wednesday at four o'clock live. But of course, this gets archived on the Internet so you can listen to past shows anytime you want at KRBN Internet Radio um, on Facebook. They're there. So hopefully you enjoyed the show. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening. Have a great week. 
We'll talk to you later from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon. Have a great evening. This has been the Bo's Nose Show. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.